Welcome to Life, bringing you insight and experiences into love, relationships, and fertility with a focus on enjoying life and moving forward. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing the process and options in obtaining a donor egg with Gail Sexton Anderson. Welcome to Life, Love, Insight, Fertility, Experiences. Today, we'll be speaking with Gail Sexton Anderson, CEO and founder of Donor Concierge. She's a board member of SEEDS, which is the Society for Ethics in Egg Donations and Surrogacy and co-founder of Fertile, a new online platform for third-party fertility. Gail has been in the industry for over 30 years. She's seen transformation and been involved in innovative ways to assist those on this journey. Welcome, Gail. So nice to have you here today. Thank you, and thank you for that nice introduction. Oh, please. It seems like it's very well deserved. You've been in the field for so long and done so much and started this industry. I'm not even sure where to start. Um, if you'd like, we could start with a little bit about your background and how you even started to get involved with Donor Egg. Sure, sure. So my background is that um, I have a master's in counseling um, from Harvard Graduate School of Education. Uh-huh. And when my children were quite young, I, um, I moved from the East Coast to, um, to California. And, um, and so in many ways, my um, getting into the whole um, field of third-party fertility uh, was sort of serendipitous, I guess. Um, Life can be like that, had- can't it? <laughs> my next door neighbor had um, an egg donor and surrogacy agency, and I thought what she did was very interesting. And I'd always been really interested in life science. And um, I wound up going to work for her. And I really enjoyed working with intended parents and with, uh, with donors, because for everyone, particularly at that time, for everyone, it was this very Orwellian thing that, you know, it's sort of a very strange thing. They all felt like they were the only people that were looking into this. And I really enjoyed helping them to feel more comfortable. That's, that's yeah. wonderful. And it's something that people still go through today in many ways. Definitely, because it, it's not like that part has changed. Any. It's, it's still, any, anyone going through it, it feels very much like they're very much alone. It does. It, I, I think you may know I run support groups for people who are trying to conceive with donor egg and yeah. um, surrogacy. And mm-hmm. right now, I've recently started one for the parents after they've had the children. I think that's wonderful. I've always felt like that was a really important thing to do. It is. It evolved. It evolved. They needed to still talk yeah. about it, and they wanted to have the support of others. So right. it's really it's really quite a fabulous group, I have to say, because they talk about how happy they are with their children and how they would never change oh, yeah. them, and understanding yeah. that baby wouldn't be there without them. But on the same hand... It's hard when everybody says, who does she look like or who does he look like? Right, right. And, and that's something that, you know, I, I like to be able to share with many of our clients. They're just getting started in that mm-hmm. to be able to. And sometimes they want to know, that, can they talk to someone? And, of course, people tend to be very private about mm-hmm. that yes. and don't necessarily want to talk to other people. But I have a, you know, well, every once in a while I have someone that's open to discussing. But it's, it's, it's a real challenge. It's one thing if it's a gay couple because obviously, you know, that's what they, you know, they can't do this without a donor. Um, so, uh, but with um, heterosexual couples, quite often they don't necessarily want to be public. That's such an important distinction, mm-hmm. really, because you always just assume that a gay couple is using a donor egg and there's no stigma attached to it at all. Right, exactly. Where, and when you have a heterosexual couple, you look 
look at the um, stigma associated. Same thing with the lesbian couple and, sp- and you know, sperm donation. Of course, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went to part of a conference of men having babies, and everybody was so open, and a lot of the uh, the egg donors were there. And there was a beautiful relationship between the parents yeah. and the egg donor. There can be with, with um, you know, heterosexual couples as well. You know, that, yes. that they're, you know, we have a lot of, of couples that wind up either having a video chat or, you know, having some sort of conversation, you know, with the donors that they choose. Yeah, I find with surrogacy especially, I'm actually going to be speaking to somebody on the podcast uh, relatively soon who mm-hmm. was born through um, traditional surrogacy oh, and okay. sees the surrogate a couple times a year. And he's in his mm-hmm. 20s now. And it's mm-hmm. like a, he describes it like a distant cousin. His mother is yeah. his mother, but this is just mm-hmm. somebody who's connected to. Right. As I always say, they're, they're a genetic relative, but they're not the mother. Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's very true. So you were living next door to this woman. And yes. you started yes. working with these intended parents. And mm-hmm. you enjoyed, you know, you enjoyed it so much and found it feeling, you know, such a need in our society that really does need help um, of people who are willing to be involved. And then what happened next? Well, I think what happened next is, and, and this actually still happens again today, mm-hmm. is that people aren't aware of the choices that they have. And, and so often they will go to a clinic and they'll be shown, you know, just the, the donors that are in the internal donor program. And maybe, um, you know, if they're part of a frozen um, egg donor program, then they can, you know, check that out too. But they don't realize that they may have many other options. And I, I find it horrifying when I hear that, you know, a couple has been waiting, um, you know, a year, two years to be matched with a donor from their clinic's program. Because they do have other options. They don't have to wait all that time. Their clinic will work with um, donors coming from, you know, agencies or, or another egg bank. Um, there are things that, you know, m- there are many options that they have, and they just don't always realize it. And I think the main reason I started Donor Concierge was because, um, you know, at that time, it was a little bit like, this is what we have, this is what you should want. You know, even though in that little shoebox, there wasn't someone that was a good, you know, fit for any intended parent. And it was all um, closed. Is that correct? At yeah, that time? well, it was closed, but it was also, it was just, um, it, it, yes, it was just sort of, they, there were more options that they, um, and they couldn't find someone that felt like a good fit for them. And so it started out with me saying, well, we don't have someone that really feels like a fit for you, but why don't you check out my name, maybe a couple of other agencies that I knew to be good and reputable agencies and say, why don't you look there? And people would come back to me and say, you know, I appreciated talking to you so much. I did find a donor and I feel so much better and we're now going forward. And that's what I enjoyed doing is helping them find what they wanted rather than saying, here, take what I have because that's what I have. That's all I have to offer. Well, that's interesting. I mean, it's really an interesting protocol. What I find with the people who I work with is that depending on the center, there's different protocols. And some of mm-hmm. them will say, it's your responsibility to go to the APANG and find somebody. Others will say, we will do the matching and we'll let you know when we have the correct match. And then there's another one that gives you a book and says, mm-hmm. look through the book and see which one seems appropriate to you. Right. It and could I all think be a little overwhelming. Very different in New York than they are in, in many other parts of the country. Because New York is the only place where you can't see any pictures other than maybe a childhood picture. Um, really, every other place you can see pictures. You can yeah. see pictures of of the donors at various ages. I think that's and, changing a little bit, just to let you know. I, I think it's changing just yes. a drop now, slowly. I, 
I, I've seen that and I, I think that there's sort of a new wave coming and I'm, I'm happy to see that. And mm -hmm. certainly we work you know, closely with a number of clinics um, in New York, um, right. but traditionally that's how it's been. Yes. I think that's very frustrating. Can we talk about a little bit why that was? Do you know? I really don't know why they, that was, because it is something that was is somewhat um, you know, specific to the New York area. Um, it most was never of the on the, the it was never in LA or on um, no, different coasts. No, you know, I've, I've worked in this field for such a long time yeah. and um, you know, it, no, they, they showed, um, you know, pictures of donors at every age from, a, you know, from 20 some years ago, they were doing that. So that, that part, you know, maybe it was California, yeah. but, um, it's something where at least at this stage, it's very rare that you can't see adult pictures. Yeah, it's very interesting, actually, because I actually was just in touch with somebody who was asking me um, if there was some way I could assist because some of the doctors were having challenges in shifting their thought process from open to, mm -hmm. from closed to open. And right. And I think the thinking actually was sort of feeling like um, showing adult pictures was exposing the donors to, um, too much. But I think donors, donors, you know, these are young women. They're they're on social media all the time. They don't have those same worries and concerns that maybe the doctor might have. And what I found is that they they tend to be pretty open. And if they if they do have these concerns, it may be that those are a few young women that maybe should be donors. It's not going to be something that every young woman's going to want to do. Um, and so That's they an important point. It's an important point. Yeah. So, but most of the young women who choose to be donors are pretty forward thinking. Mm -hmm. That's great. And the screening process, are they different for different centers or do you, are you involved in the screening process of the donor? Um, not directly involved, but, and, and yes, I, I'm, I'm aware that, that um, it's different for some centers than, but it's generally speaking, it's going to be the same sorts of things. They're going to, you know, do the, you know, they're going to do um, the AMH, FSH, and, and antral follicle count. You know, um, they're going to probably test the donor for um, whether or not she's had any, you know, drug use. Um, that that sort of thing. And the psychological uh, component behind it. Oh yes, there's, That's and right. all of them require that. Yes, they all do. of them require a psychological evaluation. Mm -hmm. Right. So, from the intended parent's point of view, from the ones I've spoken to, and from what kind of mm -hmm. I read in the field. There's a push-pull. There's the same thing, like they want to know, but they don't want to know. This is what, generally speaking, they want to know because they're very grateful to these people for yes. helping them to have a child. They know that this <laughs> is the, the person and, and kind of the gift that they're bringing them. On the other hand, they right. don't want them intruding into their family, you know, or kind of taking over the role of the mother, which they can't do. No, but, they and they don't want to. They no, have zero desire to do that. They don't. You know, they, they, you know, and that's the interesting thing is that um, it's interesting that, that many um, donor applications, there'll be the question of, you know, do you want to have any future contact? And for me, that's a red flag that maybe they have issues of attachment. And so I would always ask the question, why do you say that? And the answer I would inevitably get would be, oh, no, I'm not concerned about that. I just don't want them to feel like I, I want to interfere with their life. I want them to feel... Like, you know, this is their child because um, it is their child. Yes. Um, so it, it isn't a matter of them, you know, kind of having attachment issues because if they have attachment issues, they shouldn't be a donor. Um, right. It's more a case of they want the intended parents to feel that they're not going to interfere in their lives. Right. So. And also with the changes and the adjustments, we had chatted about this briefly. 
with all of the genetic testing, it's difficult, I think, for people not to find out who they're biologically connected to right. as they get older because it's the information is just out there. Yeah, well, an anonymity at this stage is is uh, is a mess. Yeah, I would agree with that. I agree yeah. with that. So you started the organization or the company that mm-hmm. you have. I find it fascinating because really I didn't realize when I first got into working in fertility that people could just have their choice of how they proceed <laughs> and that the protocols of a facility are their protocols, but should you say you want to go out on your own and find an egg or find a donor, you can do that and not wait the year or two, depending oh, on the facility, but most of them would go along with it. Right, right. And and we work with, um, well, we, we help people find egg donors, sperm donors, and gestational carriers. And so all together, we work with probably about, I think it's like 125 different agencies. Um, so we're, and what we do is, um, you know, we are the intended parent. We work as, as an advocate and liaison for the intended parent. They pay us a flat fee and we will then, you know, curate possibilities for them out, out of, you know, what they're looking for. That primarily applies to the egg donor. You know, like, let's say, you know, um, they, they have red hair and brown eyes and, and that's something that's important to them. It's find a, a donor that, you know, has that same coloring um, as, as the intended mother. And, and so, you know, we can then, you know, go through because we've developed our own internal database that has about 18,000 or more um, donors in there. And mm-hmm. so we can help them find here across the country, here are the possibilities that could fit what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then we share them with them and then we help them with, just kind of, you know, managing through the process. Cause I always recommend any intended parent that don't think in terms of you're looking for the one, because then there can be sort of, you're putting so much um, importance on that one particular individual where if something happens that she can't go forward, um, then it's, it can be quite devastating. So I always say, look in terms of, of uh, finding three to five possible egg donor candidates that you feel like you could go forward with and that way, if something happens that, you know, the first one on your list, for some reason, you know, someone picks her five minutes before you do, it's not quite so devastating. You sort of say, okay, that was meant to be, um, or wasn't meant to be as my donor, and let's move on. And that way, you know, in the end, you need to find someone who, you know, meets the characteristics that you're hoping for, has good fertility, can travel to your clinic. And, you know, is willing to be a donor. So um, those are the things that are, you know, most important. And that you like her. Those are the things that I always kind of you know, recommend. So it, it's sort of the perspective. So do they meet them or do they in person? Or is sometimes, it sometimes, sometimes they, they, do. they do? They don't often meet in person because some, that's not necessarily practical, but they may wind up having a, a video chat. Uh-huh. Um, and, um, and that way it, it does feel a little bit more controlled, you know, because um, usually there'll be someone on there to facilitate. Mm-hmm. Usually someone from the agency will be on there to facilitate. Right. Um, and that way they can kind of get a chance to talk. Or sometimes they may um, ask the donor to um, make a little video of themselves just talking so they can sort of see her in live action. But it, it kind of it varies. That's not the standard thing, but it can be requested at times. That sounds actually very nice. Very warm yeah. and very nice and taking out some of this angst or anticipation of what the person is really like and right. a lot of time and energy spent on worrying about it or thinking about it. 
how do you find these? I just wanted to back up if you don't mind for a minute. How do you find the uh, the egg banks that you use or the people? And are you able to help people of all different nationalities and religions? Oh, yes. And races? Absolutely. Now, we, we tend to be the go-to, particularly when it comes to um, any minority um, nationality. Of course, we can find, you know, Caucasian, Jewish, you know, um, Chinese, East Indian, you know, you name it, we've probably found it or found people that are as close as possible to that because we really, we aim to find exactly what they're looking for. But, you know, there, it depends, you know, if someone's looking for someone who is um, Ethiopian, there's not a lot of Ethiopian um, donors or donors that have Ethiopian heritage. So you're very limited. So you may have to kind of expand that a bit. But um, we, you know, how I find them is I've been in this field for many, many years. Um, and certainly SEEDS is an organization of, you know, really for agencies so that we can self-regulate the agencies. Could you talk so, about SEEDS a little bit? I'm sorry, sure. let finish the question. Um, SEEDS has if been you... around for maybe about um, between six to eight years, I think now. Um, but it was um, organized as it's a Society for Ethics and Egg Donation and Surrogacy. And I'm the executive director for SEEDS. That's sort of a new position for me because I, I was not one of the founders of SEEDS. But well, congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> um, so, um, but it, it was designed so that we can self-regulate because, you know, you hear terrible things that come up in the news and then there are basically so many more positive things that occur. But when you hear these terrible things that come up in the news about some agency that really is a bad actor, you know, we want to take steps so that, you know, if you are a member of SEEDS, then that means something, you know, it's mm -hmm. a little bit like Better Business Bureau, but it's specifically for you know, egg donor and surrogacy agencies. Um, and there, we also have many people that are in it that are you know, attorneys, mental health professionals, and so forth. We all support each other in this. But the idea is to set standards so that there's, um, there are known standards in that way instead of it being sort of, you know, people just go willy-nilly and do whatever they like. You know, it's more a case of, of trying to make sure that there are some, you know, good guidelines for people to follow. And so most, most agencies desire, you know, to do that, to do the right thing. I was going to say, is there any type of, there's an organization also in for hospitals called LeapFrog, which is a patient safety organization that's based in Washington, um, and they mm -hmm. do the same thing for hospitals. Mm -hmm. They're able to um, have people go along with their standards because mm -hmm. of the structure of the healthcare system. Right. How do, how do we have people go along with the ethics and standards in this field, because it seems to me like it's very important. It is important, and and um, we are still in the process of kind of getting some of these standards, you know, in place. Um, because as you go along, you find there are more and more things that need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. So um, one, we're um, we're really tightening up on who is allowed to be a member of Seeds, mm -hmm. um, as well as you know, getting these standards in place and and actually having some you know, training modules for newer agencies so that they can have, you know, sort of a mentoring process of going through some training modules and, and learning and understanding what are accepted practices so that um, they're they're aware of them. That's great. It would be um, really good if there was another body to also enforce it so that as opposed to it being a voluntary, it would be voluntary with maybe a little bit of pressure. <laughs> From, um, right. Well, we you have others. to start someplace, and you the, and do, the and I don't want to wind yeah. up having it be a government-regulated issue because then you run into issues that you know um, where they're not really familiar with the whole 
um, field and, and how things are done. And, and so you wind up getting some somewhat arbitrary regulations that don't, you know, really I agree with you from my experience in working with these types of organizations. I, I do agree yes. with you. Um, it's just something to contact. On my part, it's something I would think about, not for you yes. if you have enough to think about, but for me, it would be something to think <laughs> about because it would, it makes me believe that if somebody has participated in SEEDS, then they've met a certain standard. And right. that's really what you're trying to do. You're trying to have exactly. certain standards in this mm -hmm. field. And that would bring comfort, I think, to the intended parent as yes. well as the donor. Exactly. And, and that's, that's something with, you know, donor concierge and I think most agencies, you know, we try to keep the intended parent as our true north. Mm -hmm. that, that the reason we're doing all of this is for the intended parent. Right. And ultimately and so, the child. Yes, ultimately exactly. Ultimately the child. So you've also involved in another agency. It seems like you're very busy, but all of the agencies are, are so great to talk about because they offer different <laughs> services. And the other one that you're involved in? Is, um, we have um, the, the software that we've developed, which we call Fertile. Um, we will probably be making, taking that public in um, probably March. We may change the name of it just because we're not sure it really applies and, and feels right um, in terms mm -hmm. of, of you know, taking it public to the um, you know, two intended parents. Um, because in many ways, donor concierge, um, you know, we are very hands-on and we um, are doing a lot of the hand-holding and taking care of, of all of the issues um, for intended parents. And, but it tends to be something where, um, you know, it, it's mostly going to be for people in a certain income bracket. And it was never my goal to only serve, you know, people in, in um, you know, higher income um, levels. I've always wanted to be able to help anyone who was trying to create their family. And so, um, you know, Fertile or whatever we wind up calling it eventually mm -hmm. will be a database that'll be a little bit more do it yourself. But, you know, they would have the option um, to, if they wanted to, you know, sign up to have maybe some coaching at, you know, a certain fee, but that they would, you know, because the agencies that we work with, because they trust us, because we've been, you know, working with them for such a long time, we have more than um, 80 different agencies that have said, yes, they'd love to be part of that. Um, and the main reason that they are willing to be part of it is because they trust us. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it's, it's something that we want to be able to take public and make it easier for intended parents to know what their options are. And our hope is to eventually even have that be something where there'll be, um, even, you know, frozen embryos, because that certainly is a mm -hmm. much more cost-effective way for people to be able to create a family. And it, it's, it's very much, I think, a, a win-win in many ways. Um, so that's something that we're working on sort of setting up connections. Um, so just as we've done that with egg donor agencies, we want to do that with um, with uh, embryo donation. So with program. the frozen embryo, that would mm -hmm. be, um, if it was an intended parent, one of the parents' biolo biological, um, either sperm or egg, and something from a donor on the other side of it? Or would well, that be an an embryo that's already formed from somebody from another an embryo couple. already formed and it could have been formed either by the um, intended parents themselves um, through an IVF process but now they've created their family and they have embryos that they would love to see you know go to um, a nice family um, and you know there are ways that they try to make it so that it's a very positive experience for you know both sides of, of the equation the um, donating parents as well as the receiving parents and, um, or it could be um, embryos that were created um, through 
the maybe the intended father's um, sperm and and an egg donor. Mm-hmm. And so there there are a lot of different ways there that are. that can. I was reading something about this new agency I think that was starting that was talking about embryo adoption. Yes, only we don't use that word. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because it was relatively controversial, and um, that's yes. why I wanted to yes. just bring it up to you. Yeah. No. So, so that's something that 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 we consider to be kind of a no-no, though it, it does follow those kind of um, that philosophy in a way, but because of political, you know, reasons, we call it donation. So. Um, but, and I would imagine yeah. that we could all think of those reasons. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, so, so it's. The shift is nice. The concept is there, but the shift is very nice. Um, And what's so fabulous about talking to you is just making possible all of these options to people to have the family they want. And through these conversations, I'm hoping to destigmatize a lot of it so that people become comfortable because people who use donor egg, at least on this coast, I know you said it's a little bit different on your coast, there's a lot of privacy that goes on. And I had somebody saying to me the other day, she felt like a fraud because her decision is to tell the child before she tells everybody else. Oh, I agree. And you're walking around not telling your immediate family and other people how your child was conceived. So it's it's challenging on a lot of different levels. Well, so, so this is what I tell people is I, I tell our clients um, you know, if they ask me about, you know, talking to their children, um, I, I, and I do recommend that they start from a very early age. You know, I, I started reading to my children as soon as they could sit up. Right. Basically you can, you know, with your, your, your child, once they are born, you can put together your own little book and you can do a very nice sophisticated book these days with all of the different, you know, photo, um, options for creating books, you know, and, and basically the, the stars of that book, um, are, are the main characters of the mm-hmm. book are going to be, you know, the, the, the parents and the child. Um, and if they have any other, you know, children prior to, you know, the, the conceiving, you know, con- continuing to build their family through um, donation, then, you know, they're in there too. So they're all the main characters. And then the supporting characters are, you know, the doctors, the nurses, the donor, the, you know, the, uh, their extended family. And so it's, it's a way to be able to tell that story from a very early age that and there are other books that are written that aren't specific to you know the couple's own family but i i i actually encourage people that if they are the one that is lucky enough to be caring that they start telling the story when they're pregnant and it's not so much i do the same thing i ask them to start to tell the story in the womb and i have and we we talk about it as a group and let's get comfortable with it and Absolutely. your child will become comfortable when you're comfortable. You know, I actually wrote a couple of books that I'm waiting. I'm getting illustrated uh, oh, good. for the donor egg process. And I share them with me when you do. <laughs> oh, I would love to. I'm just in the process of getting someone to illustrate them now. I was trying to get a few people yeah. who have gone through the journey. Um, at any rate, I absolutely believe that people should start talking about it as soon as they conceive and, you know, talking to their tummy while they're conceiving. And while they're, you know, going through the Absolutely. entire journey. Yeah. 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 I, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, Gail, thank you so much. I appreciate all your time. Um, and if there's anything else you want to share, that would be great. And if not, I'm, I'm just going to thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you. This has been a delightful conversation. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Anytime. And I have to thank you just in general for being in the field for so long and <laughs> moving ahead with it. 
because so many people stay where they are and it's hard for them to move their beliefs. And just to see that you went from, you know, working as a mental health provider to um, starting one agency and thinking you wanted to make it affordable for all and starting another one is just a beautiful thing. And then to get involved in the ethics, I think is essential. So thank you. Well, thank you. It, it's certainly been my passion for a long time now. Yeah, well, you've done a lot of good with it, so I appreciate it. If people want to get a hold of you, how would they reach you? Um, well, they can um, contact our, our office mm-hmm. or find us on, uh, online, donorconcierge.com. And uh, certainly they can always email me, gail at donorconcierge.com. Okay, great. Well, thank you again. And if anybody has any questions or any comments, please feel free to contact me at net. 